When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron, Greg, and I are going to be talking about bikepacking. Specifically, we're going to talk about some of our first bikepacking experiences, what we've learned on the bikepacking trail, and hopefully offer some tips to our listeners who are interested in getting started with bikepacking or maybe upping their bikepacking game. So... Greg, I know you recently took your first bikepacking trip. Tell us a little bit about that trip. Yeah, Jeff, it was a great time. I had one of my main goals for the year was to get started bikepacking, and I finally got my first trip under my belt this October. And it was just an overnight, sort of in my local area, but we put together a 53-mile point-to-point ride, ended up doing 5,600 feet of climbing in the two days. But I got some friends to join me, so we had a good group of four people. Our goal for the trip was to like see the aspens and the fall colors as the leaves are changing. So we put together this big route through some of the most beautiful aspen zones in their local area. So it was a definitely a great time. Most of the ride was dirt roads, but we finished up with 10 miles of single track, uh, mostly descending. So that was a fun little icing on the cake. What about you, Aaron? It's been a while since you did your first bikepacking trip, but tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, my first trip was in 2008, and I just had a few buddies. We got together and decided to ride the Pinhoti Trail in Georgia. So we started in Somerville, which is near the Alabama border with Georgia, and we rode east to Ellijay. So we did it over three days, around 120 miles. Yeah, we basically had no idea what we were doing. We just... (laughs) We just went for it, so it was uh, it was a great time. Uh, I think everybody really enjoyed it. It was a challenge for all of us, certainly. And this was before bike packing was as big as it is now, so we didn't have any specialized equipment or anything like that, or any frame bags. We just had large camelbacks jammed full of stuff and some seat post racks and you know some bungee cords and uh, Velcro straps to keep it all together. Yeah. Were you guys even calling it bike packing back in 2008 or did you just say like, we're going to go on a trip with our bikes? Yeah, we definitely didn't call it bike packing. I, we had ridden lots of sections of the Pinhoti, the Snake Creek Gap section and the stuff over in, in Ellijay. And I just wanted to try to piece it all together and do a multi-day ride. So I just started looking at maps and tried to figure out a route and, that was probably one of the the most difficult parts of it was deciding what route would be best because it's a lot of trail, but you also do have to piece it together with, with some double track and there's a good section of pavement that you actually have to ride from um, once you get to Dalton, Georgia to go east a little ways. There was a good probably, I don't know, 15, 10 or 15 miles or so, something like that on the road. So that was probably the most difficult part was laying out the route to begin with. Once you have that down, um, you know, it's just gathering up enough food and clothes and doing it. 
Nice. And for me, I guess technically I haven't done a, a real bikepacking trip, but I will say there is such a thing as bikepacking light, not as in like, you know, not bringing a lot of stuff, although that is part of it. But you can you can actually do bikepacking and not be as extreme as some of the stuff that people are doing and the stuff that Aaron and Greg have done. A lot of people will sag their trip, so they'll have someone in a vehicle carrying a lot of their supplies and gear for them, and they'll just meet them at predetermined spots along a route. And then also what I've done is a hut-to-hut trip. So there are these designated shelters along a route, and the stops are stocked with food and water and beds even. And so you can you can take a trip that way. It's not technically bikepacking, but it is a way for you to spend multi-day trips on your bike and get sort of a similar experience, but maybe not quite as difficult. But back to real bikepacking. So what what were the biggest surprises for you guys about your first trips or some of your early bikepacking excursions? I think my biggest surprise was how manageable the entire trip was. I expected bikepacking, like legit bikepacking, with carrying all the stuff you need to survive, including food, you know, camping gear, the works. I just expected it to be super arduous and difficult because of all that weight on your bike. Um, but it just wasn't all that bad, honestly. I was uh, pretty surprised at how fresh I felt when we got into camp and, you know, how manageable the entire trip was. Sure, we didn't do like long miles each day. I was pretty confident in the mileage numbers, but uh, I would say it's very feasible to start bikepacking if you choose a proper route for you. I would definitely agree with you, Greg. I think we oftentimes in our minds build these things up to be, you know, these insurmountable tasks or rides. And once you get out, it doesn't matter anymore. You're just out there riding your bike and having fun and you know, you might be on your bike for eight or 10 hours, but you you don't notice it and you don't really care just because you're riding your bike, having a good time, hanging out with your buddies. Cool. Well, that's very encouraging that it's seemingly so easy to get into. So what would you guys say makes for a good bikepacking route? Well, I think the beauty of bikepacking is that you can tackle all kinds of different routes depending on what you're looking for. You know, anything from big loops to long point-to-point routes, you name it. We set up a point-to-point route, which was a lot of fun because you know you sort of have a destination you're trying to get somewhere, but it had a lot more logistics because we had to run a self-shuttle with some vehicles. So there's a bit of a driving around. But I will say, like you know, you can do dirt roads, you can do single track, whatever you want. But I'd say, you know, if you can find a route that has like moderate uphill grades, that'll make it more rideable. You know, plenty of people bike pack in extremely steep terrain, like on the Colorado Trail, but Pushing a you know, 50, 60 pound, maybe more bike up a hill isn't a, a ton of fun. So if the grade is more moderate and pedalable, you know, that's going to make your life easier. What about going down? Is there any concern with that? I mean, I know a lot of times when, when we're picking a good place to just go mountain biking, people are looking for single track. They're looking for fun descents. Is that part of the calculation when you're choosing a bikepacking route? Do you want that stuff or do you try to avoid it? Well, I was actually pretty surprised at how manageable riding a fully loaded bike on single track was. And for my first trip, I was riding a rigid fat bike, which you know you can obviously go with like a, like a hardtail with a fork. You could go with a full suspension bike. You're not going to have the frame space on it, but I was riding a rigid fat bike 
and our final descent was five or six miles of pretty steep single track on some of the most technical trails we had, you know, and I did all right. Actually, I was pretty surprised. I just sort of took it easy, you know, where, where I might like roll these really steep, like rock drops or like try to get some air off of a drop. You know, I was just like taking it easy and sort of picking my way through lines, but I think it's very manageable. Um, and if you see any, like the, uh, the crazy awesome Yeti videos that they put out once every you know few months, like most of those are bikepacking trips and they're just shredding the descents. So um, it's a bit up to you. However, if you want like, like optimal bike handling for the descents, you sort of have to tweak your setup a little bit. For instance, you can't have a super big handlebar roll if you want um, a lot of suspension up front because you might not have clearance of the front tire. So things like that need to be taken into consideration. Aaron, what do you look for when you're choosing a good bikepacking route? I think Greg pretty much covered it all. It all depends on what your goal is and what you want to do and how hard you want to make it. You can make it as hard or as easy as you want to. If you want to cover big miles, you're probably going to have to mix in some gravel roads and paved roads, which may not be as fun as single track. But if you do all single track, it's going to take a hell of a lot longer to get to your destination, which is fine if that's what you want to do, but you just need to know that it's going to be substantially slower going than just heading out on a, on a regular ride sans gear. Right. And I guess another thing that maybe it's obvious, but um, when you're planning a bikepacking route, you're going to want to look for a route that has places to camp along the way, maybe fixed spots. But in my opinion, I, I would probably prefer a place or a route where I could camp in multiple places because I would be afraid I wouldn't know exactly where I was going to end up. And so having options would be good and not, you know, sticking to a rigid like route where there's only a campground every 50 miles or whatever. And then also I would think too, picking a route where there's going to be water uh, would be pretty important. You're not going to just go out to, you know, say bootleg Canyon where you could go out there for a ride, like on the on the weekend or something and bring enough water with you. But if you're like thinking about bikepacking across the desert, that probably isn't a good idea. Yeah. I was actually asking uh, Neil Belchenko who, you know, he holds a ton of um, crazy bikepacking records and uh, I, he, I got him to come along on my first trip and thankfully he chilled and took it easy on us. But I was asking him about the water consideration because the route I planned, there's only one or two good water sources. And I sort of scouted it ahead of time to like, position sort of our evening like ending spot in a place where we'd have water to finish the day and begin the next day but I asked about some desert routes and he said that for certain like two or three day trips like in the desert if there's going to be no water he will literally carry all the water he needs for the entire trip from the get-go which is really heavy on day one but gets lighter as you go along but uh (laughs) you know so I found that pretty interesting you know considering like starting off with like a couple of gallons of water or what have you. But then uh, for other zones, like he, especially like in Arizona, he said he just rides from spigot to spigot and town to town. And, uh, you know, he'll call ahead and call gas stations, see if there's like, if they're, they have water, if it's on, you know, and it takes a lot of planning to make sure you have the water you're going to need in uh, some of those dry zones. Well, thankfully, we live on the East Coast where that's not an issue. <laughs> I would definitely not not want to be carrying a 
couple gallons of water with me. And that's definitely, that's an advanced move right there for sure. I mean, as you said, Neil Belchenko is a, a, I guess like a professional bike packer at this point, but yeah, I mean, should something go wrong and you get stuck or you break your bike and you have to walk that water that you planned, you know, for riding is not going to last you for walking. So yeah, definitely an advanced move there. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess one other beginner move is to pick a route where you're going to have some bailout points just in case something does go wrong or, or heck you get out there and you're like, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know, at least again, I would leave myself plenty of options in terms of water and where to sleep and, you know, what to do if I need to get out or my bike breaks or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you can't really state enough like yeah knowing your water sources is critical that was one of the major tips i put in the article i recently wrote and also knowing that some sources like even if you see them on a map they could be seasonal sources you know they could flow in the spring and not in the fall or winter so definitely do your research yeah and hikers are at a bit of an advantage especially for sort of the major hiking routes like the appalachian trail where there are literally books and books written about each section of the trail uh, where you can get that really detailed information. But it seems like because bikepacking is so new, a lot of that information is just not available yet. So there is some of that trying to figure it out on your own and pouring over maps. But like like you said, Greg, even the maps don't always tell the whole story. And it's hopefully as bikepacking gets more popular, we can share some of the knowledge that we get, especially along some of the more popular routes. So what do you guys think about additions to your regular mountain bike kit that people are going to need for an overnighter? Most of us already carry, you know, a tool, tubes, water, but what else, what else do you guys bring for bikepacking that's a little bit different? Aaron, I'll let you take this one to start. Okay. Well, you're going to need somewhere to sleep. So that can, that can be a lot of different things. If you have multiple people, you can bring a tent and share the load among among the crew have each person take a different part of the tent. If you want to go ultra light, you can just sleep on the ground. But depending on what the the weather is and where you are, that may not be the best idea. You can do a bivy. You can do uh, you know just a sleeping pad and a sleeping bag. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, like hammocks because they're comfortable and you can string them up anywhere that there's trees and they're really light as well. So that's one thing you're going to need is a, is a sleep system for sure. You're going to need some way to cook food possibly. I mean, you can, if you're doing a shorter trip, you can probably get away with, you know, some really simple dried food or stuff. You don't even have to cook at all, but that might, if you're doing a multi-day trip that might kind of get old, you might want something hot and, and tasty. So, uh, there's all kinds of, uh, dehydrated meals and stuff that you can just all you need to do is boil water and add it and you have dinner, but you can get, you can get fancier if you want. So you may need a little camp stove is a good thing to have and water purification because like we said, water sources, you need to know where those are. But once you get to them, if it's not some gloriously clean spring, you know, springing forth from, from the ground, you're going to need to make sure that water is safe to drink. So whether that's a filter or that's iodine tablets or something else you that's something you should carry with you yeah and the last time i'd add trying to remember if you hit this aaron but just making sure you have enough warm clothes for night at camp you know i found like on the bike i don't need anything above 
you know, what I normally need to ride a mountain bike, but, um, especially like in certain climate zones, like if you're in the desert or in the Rockies, like the temperature tends to drop and just plummet overnight. So just even for being around camp, you know, you're going to need warm clothes and plan for a 20 to 30 or more degree temperature swing. So it's good stuff to have. Yeah. I would also say that you need to supplement your standard toolkit, which of course you should have tube, a pump, a multi-tool, that's definitely stuff you should have, but you need, you maybe want to bring a second tube, uh, a patch kit for sure, in case you go through two tubes, which has happened. Other things you can bring, you know, a spare cleat bolt if you're, if or spare cleats, if you're um, using clipless pedals, uh, brake pads is a really good thing to have. The trip that I went on, it rained the entire first day and I ended up totally smoking through my brake pads all the way down to the backing just because you know your your bike now weighs 50 or 60 pounds plus your weight and you you add some mud and water in there and you can grind away your brake pads really quickly as I found so if I hadn't thought ahead to bring those spare brake pads with me I kind of would have been screwed I wouldn't have been able to finish the trip because I wouldn't have been able to stop my bike other things like a spare shifter cable is a good thing to have zip ties are always helpful so bring a lot of those and I also like to bring I usually wrap some gorilla tape around my uh the handle on my uh pump so you never know when that's going to come in handy I've actually uh had to use zip ties and Gorilla Tape to lash a saddle back together after it broke off the rails. So, yeah, that stuff, you know, Gorilla Tape or duct tape comes in really handy. Yeah, you can use duct tape for all kinds of things. Like, yeah, it's amazing. Like first aid, you know, people, um, I know some people are bringing like, uh, you know, bandages and all different types of things. Just throw some duct tape on there. It's all good. Right. Well, speaking of things that you needed on the trail what what was something that you forgot to bring on one of your bikepacking trips that you wish you had my first trip my only trip i had brought mid-weight wool socks for sleeping in but i could have used heavyweight like warmer socks for sleeping at night in my sleeping bag but other than that i had as much stuff as i needed i think yeah mine is along a similar lines to greg i wish i had brought a, a hat for lounging around the, the campfire at night because I brought like a light jacket, but I think a hat would have gone a long ways to making me warmer. And also while I was sleeping, it would have made me warmer. And one more thing I wanted to add to uh, gear you should bring with you, especially if you're going on a longer trip, is something like a spot tracker. That's a device that will show your GPS location to the people that you choose to share it with and you can actually have different models of it, but you can send messages to your, to your family or whoever program it to, to let them know that you're okay. Um, you can call for help with it. And there is, you know, this is definitely more in the advanced end of the spectrum, but that's something to consider if you're doing multi-day trips, especially if you're going out solo. So people know where you are, they can see if you're moving, if you're making progress and, you can you can call help if you need it. Well, yeah, speaking of electronics, I noticed that wasn't something you guys mentioned. What about power generation? Do you guys is it that important that you power your electronic devices that you want to bring like a backup power source or solar panels or some fancy, you know, generating hub or something? What do you guys what do you guys think about that? Well, I almost always carry a spare um USB battery pack with me for 
I mean, any ride that is going to be even like a long day ride. Lots of times I don't need to use it, which is nice. Like even on my overnight backpacking trip, left my phone in airplane mode and I had enough juice in my GPS for two full days of riding. So didn't even need the battery pack. But, you know, sometimes if I get really lost, I use my phone for navigation using the single tracks app and that will sap battery pretty quick. So I usually toss in a, just a battery pack just for backup. Yeah, that's definitely starting to get into the more advanced bike packing as well when you get into, you know, solar panels and dynamo hubs. And the hubs are probably the best way because, you know, it's kind of foolproof. You just ride and it charges your devices and it's expensive and it can be a little finicky to get everything set up. But that's, uh, I mean, you know, you can power lights, you can recharge your GPS, your phone, whatever with, with a hub like that. So yeah, definitely not for the beginner, but if it's some bikepacking is something you want to get more serious about, it's something to look into for sure. Okay. So taking the opposite end of the spectrum, what was something that you brought on your trip that you wish you hadn't, that you ended up lugging around and you never actually used it? Only thing I did use was I packed too much food, which is better than not having enough food. So, you know, <laughs> that there's that. But yeah, food is food and water are two of the heaviest things that you bring with you. So you don't want too much, but you don't want to not have enough either. So it's a pretty fine balance to strike. Well, I know for me on my trip, uh there I didn't have to bring a whole lot of stuff. And so I think maybe that led me to just fill up my bags, even though I didn't need to. So I ended up with way too many clothes, too many extra clothes where I could have reused some, you know, shorts and jerseys and stuff or washed them out. You know, there's plenty of time at camp after you're done riding to take care of stuff like that. So yeah, I, I think I, I carried way too many clothes and plus nobody really cares how you smell like after a few days, once you're out in the woods. So there, At least that's my theory. There's your problem, you Jeff. You smell like nature. There's an S on the end of all those words, shorts and jerseys. Just one. One of everything. <laughs> you only need one. <laughs> that's a good tip. Okay, so before we wrap up, I wanted to just open it up and see if you guys have some general tips about bikepacking. Greg, I know you recently wrote an article about bikepacking, and you offered 15 tips for bikepacking. Uh, so yeah, maybe pick some of your favorite ones and fill us in. All right. Well, yeah, definitely check out the full article, but a few of the key ones. Number one, I would say just run what you brung. Don't worry about having the proper bike for bike packing. You know, I would say just start with whatever you have in your garage, maybe whatever you ride most and go from there. I think I obsessed a little bit about it too much at first, but then I was just like, well, I've got an enduro bike or I've got my fat bike. So I was like, I'm going to go with the fat bike. And, uh, you know, I didn't need the fat tires for about 95% of the train we rode, but really it did fine, you know? So just grab a bike and kit it up and go. But if you do have money to invest and, uh, I would just really recommend quality bike bags. Like you can jury rig a setup. Sure. But man, it like high quality bags that are designed for the purpose, like they, stabilize the load they're really easy to pack they're easy to use you know they optimize your space they've got compression built in they're waterproof they're durable i mean that's where i would invest my money if i was starting up bike packing is in quality bags i've got a set in from oveja negra and they've been awesome i've used an oveja negra bag on my enduro bike just for day riding for about a year and a half now and it's still as good as the day i bought it so those things are rad 
above and beyond that, you know, just dialing in your gear is sort of like a, a long process of learning it, you know, but you can apply ultra lightweight, like bike packing or rather backpacking principles, a bunch of great articles out there on, you know, how not to bring too much stuff and how to trim down the amount of stuff you're carrying. It's like the lower amount of gear you can haul with you, the lighter your bike's going to be and the more fun it's going to be to ride on the trails. So that's a, uh, just sort of a general overview, I guess. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, I would also add to it to uh, start small and you know start with some trails that you're familiar with. I know I started with a three-day bikepacking trip, which was probably a little bit much, but um, you know we we made it through okay. But yeah, start on on terrain that you're familiar with, uh, at least for the most part, so you kind of know what to expect. And I would say before you even head out, kind of test your setup on some on some of your local trails just so you can you can make any adjustments before you get out there you don't want to be stopping for the first few miles of your trip and readjusting and you know placing weight in different spots to get your bike riding how you want to you should you should dial that in before you head out and bring whiskey because whiskey's delicious and it weighs less than beer yes that is a good point don't you have some uh, dehydrated beer too that you were going to try Aaron I actually do I need to try that I have not uh sorry Christopher I've not tried that yet yeah it's like uh I'm not sure exactly how it works but you pour this little packet in this like special water bottle I guess it becomes a beer bottle thing and you add some water to it and then you like shake it for three minutes or something and it turns into beer so whoa I'm glad you reminded me of that I need to bust that thing out <laughs> Yes. Give me a taste. Well, great. Hopefully these tips about bikepacking have been helpful for those who are considering it or for those who are just getting into bikepacking. Be sure to check single tracks for Greg's recent article titled 15 tips for bikepacking. That's all we have this week. Talk to you again next week. Peace. <laughs>